Right, okay, so bring your coffees back and the teas, whatever. Um, okay, what we're going to do now then is give an opportunity. I, I'm a great believer in collective wisdom, <laughs> that in this room sits a huge amount of wisdom, uh, experience, um, and all sorts of different angles on things. That's why it's important we sort of get this together, actually. Um, and so we're going to get into groups, and we've got some questions. The person who hosts your group has this question, the kind of main question, but some questions referring to that, relating to the past, kind of where's this been done well, and how's it, what can we learn from the past? Looking at the present, maybe you've got stories of where it's happening well, how it's happening in your context, what you're doing, um, where you're finding it working well, not so well, all those sorts of things. Let's learn from each other. Um, iron sharpens iron, so let's just do that. And then looking in the future as well, thinking kind of questions around, well, how is culture changing? What are the things we need to be aware of um, going forward? Which direction is it taking? And what does that therefore mean for us in the way that we are church in our contexts? What are the opportunities? What are the challenges? That kind of things. Then if there's some questions that come out of those conversations that you think, oh, I'd like to explore that a bit further. We've got a little panel um, of people. It's not a case of, hey, here's some experts. It's more a case of, we're just kind of, let's just chew it over a bit more. Um, I'm not disparaging them at all. I'm just saying, from, I know how they would feel. We're all going, do you know what? We're in this going, okay, how do we do this deal? And so if there are questions that we want to chew over together then, um, after we've had our groups, then please text those to 01603-914-999. Okay? Brilliant. And by the wonders of technology, that will come to my phone. And uh, so we can do that. So about half an hour or so um, in groups, and then about half an hour sort of panel Q&A, um, or no Q&A if no questions come in. But one's come in already. Someone was keen. Um, so, um, so we'll do that. So right, hosts. So we've got to, we've got to now heard. Um, hosts, can you please stand up? Those that I've asked to host. Brilliant. Can you then now kind of, you're fairly well spaced there. Can you now space yourself down? You can go anywhere, go over there. Um, see, Steph's already got his own table. <laughs> um, so spread out. Don't anyone else stand up at the moment. Only hosts. And, and go where you're going to be, where you want to have around, I reckon about seven or eight people, six, seven, eight people per host. So it gives opportunity for everyone to talk and discuss. Too big. And people won't. So... All right, six, seven, maybe eight per host, if that, and um, and then just spend half an hour doing this. So that's fairly straightforward, isn't it? Okay, that means you've got to move. You might have to move chairs. Go for it. Okay, we've got whoa, 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 whoa. We've got about five minutes or so. Uh, it, it, to continue the conversation in your groups, but can I encourage you? Get some great questions. A couple of questions over here that you came up with that I thought were spot-on questions that I think would be great for everyone to kind of almost hear. So if you've got questions, please text them in. Um, a few people have already, but it would be really helpful, I think, in, in just exploring this a little bit further together. Okay? Thanks. Okay, if you want to be drawing this bit to a close, um, and uh, lots of questions coming in, so we'll see where we go in a minute. So kind of draw those to a close and then let's draw back into rows again um, if you're able to do that. Well, I know you're able to do that. So,
Okay, can those that I just asked to come up and just sit on these chairs, come and sit on them, please? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Well, kind of. Now, like I said, um, Dan, you're meant to be here, so you, Steph. Tisha and Lena were a bit latecomers. <laughs> I just thought, oh, do you know what? It'd be great just to hear from them, thinking about planting into another culture, clearly, th- or their own culture, but clearly thinking about it, being here. So I just thought, you know, let's just get them. So again, this is about conversation. This isn't about necessarily all these guys here are going to have the answers to all of these questions. There's some fantastic questions here, though. Um, I forgot to say as well in terms of the length of texts. If they're over a certain amount, they come in on two emails, which means I have to point, put, put them together. The first one came in and it said, St. Ten Years. <laughs> what does that mean? I realised, oh, it's part of the other one. So if I take a little bit of um, time here, hang on. So let, let's, <laughs> some great questions. Oh, boy, where do we start? Um, I hope you had good conversations. Yeah? Any, anyone got it sorted now? Done, dusted? <laughs> We're there? Okay, let's just, this is going to be quite random, so... Um, Let's go through this one then first. Um, When all modern teaching theory suggests lecture preaching is not a very effective form of communication. See some squirms in seats. (laughs) Why, Why has the sermon not changed? That's a good question. Who wants the mic? Because God in his wisdom. <laughs> if, you, if you look at the, uh, the 1 Corinthians passage, what it teaches is, is that it says, um, for some reason, the, the translations haven't always um, translated it as accurately as it could be. and it's, the, the actual translation is much more... Um, radical than, than, than it comes across. Um, in 1 Corinthians, my Bible, I have got Bible. For since um, in the wisdom and in the world and its wisdom didn't come to know God, um, God was pleased, and, it, and a lot of um, translations say, God was pleased for the foolishness um, of, of what was preached, which, which kind of implies the content, which is definitely true. But it actually says the, foolish, the foolishness of preaching is actually in the original Greek. That's what it says. So, um, thanks, man. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's, actually, it's actually part of God's strategy to, to undermine human pride so that when you come to Christ, you come to Christ on a, on a foundation of, uh, that is true and that is right, not, in, not on a kind of a self-help foundation or I contributed something foundation that even God's strategy in saving people is, is, is foolish in the world's eyes. Always has been, always will be. Preaching has never, ever been popular. Um, it's not a new idea that it doesn't work. It's not effective. It does work because it's God's plan. 
Right. Can I just throw back on that? So, right. Just in terms of though the form our preaching takes. So we'd agree. Okay, preaching the gospel, we've got to be declaring truth and all the rest of it. What about the form? Any comments on the the form it might take in terms of connecting with people better? I don't know. Do you mean the form of our meetings or the form of the actual preaching slot? Could be the preaching slot, the, the, whether that's to do with length of time, the style of it, the engagement with people. I don't know. Just is there anything you feel that does need to shift? Because um, we, we seem to have a very kind of almost 18th century kind of yeah. reform model of things. So. Sure. I think as long as we're proclaiming and not suggesting, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll just give some ideas. As long as we're proclaiming whether that is in a dialogue model or a more of a monologue model, whether that's um, in bits, shorter bits or, 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 or a long lump, I don't think those things are sacred. But I think that the, the bold proclamation of the gospel and enough time given to really instruct people. So I think there's a, there's a concern develops if if the place for instruction and teaching is reduced, reduced, reduced at the expense of other things, then you're, you're, you're not, then you are, you've taken a wrong turn. Um, but in terms of the form, you know, I think we can definitely, that's up for discussion biblically. Great. Daniel's now drawing a picture. So, Dan. Well, my, my conviction uh, is that um, it's, a false, it's a false dichotomy. <laughs> I think, I think it's a false dichotomy. You can hear the wrong thing about that type of preaching. Research suggests that preaching or lecture alone is ineffective, but it has to be part of an effective strategy. So I think if you say classroom, apprenticeship, and immersion, you need a mixture of the three. That's not to make preaching any less important, but it's not sufficient in and of itself to make disciples apprenticeship is come alongside me and show me how it's done and help me when I get stuck. And immersion is let me go to that country and learn the language because everyone speaks the language. So if in our churches we can be teaching through classroom and immersion and immersion and apprenticeship, then that's really more rounded. And I think in, in the Bible, Jesus and in the New Testament and Acts and stuff, a lot of the recorded sermons are kind of off-the-cuff defenses um, or dialogues, questions, responding to. And I think as preachers, we need to be better at that. We really do need to be better at engaging, answering questions after the sermon or during the sermon or whatever. Well, that's, that's a good little lead into this next question then. Um, the Bible says we need to be ready to answer. What are today's questions we need to be ready to answer? It seems to me that these have changed in the past 10 years. I'll go for it. Go for it. Um, I think it's really interesting. We were just having a discussion about Alpha uh, in itself. All right. Um, talk about Alpha uh, as a really effective course. Oh, I see. Okay. So what was it? <laughs> it's the Got another one? Yes. Um, where Alpha has been a really helpful tool, um, but it does answer questions that were relevant at that time. And I think if we just stick with a tool rather than 
um, uh, just actually trying to engage with questions, we could be in danger of becoming irrelevant at some point. So asking the questions uh, uh, needs interaction with culture, doesn't it? So I think when I spend time with our youngsters, uh, kids, youth, they have got very different questions than probably most of our adults. Uh, and that will be the questions that will be coming through for them. So I think they've got very different problems than we might have. So where perhaps before big questions about the Bible being true or not, uh, what are some evidence for God's existence? Probably now more it's about gender issues, it's about individuality, identity, hypocrisy in the church. Uh, and uh, I think there's new ways to be engaging with that, I think. So, yeah. Anyone else want to add to that? No? Okay, fine. I mean, the best way to find out what questions are being asked is to ask people questions. Talk to them. Literally say, what are the questions you're asking? You know, what, what are the things that you're facing? What, you know, when it comes to church, Christianity, anything like that, that is the best way. Um, yeah. Please. I just want to ask you a question, really. <laughs> what do you think the difference was with you in Kenya, where people will stay and listen to the word for long, long periods, much longer than here in the UK? Very true in China. You keep going for five hours and folks are still sitting there and, and wanting it more. So what do you put that down to? And many Africans would say the trouble with you guys in the UK is you dialogue all the time and you never proclaim. And if you only proclaim, you'll see a fruit of the gospel. <laughs> the, the dialogue, I think, comes from the Bible. But anyway. Um, oh, my goodness. I mean, there's a cultural thing about the amount of time people will sit and, and do isn't it that's just there is a cultural thing there that what we've got to ask the question of is do we do we think that's an area of culture that needs transformation and that kingdom culture equals longer meetings um <laughs> or so i think that, that that's that kind of question we've got to ask it does it necessarily mean therefore the kingdom of god is being expressed in a better way in in, in that or are they simply going look our culture is more like this let's take advantage of that um uh, there is a flow to their meetings in terms of during that five and a half hours. Was everyone there at the beginning? No. You know, one hour later, two hours later, people coming in, then some are going off, and so there's a, there's a cultural deal there, so it's a bit different. Um, people will sit and watch things, though, for a long period of time, won't they? They'll go to the cinema, watch a two-hour film, no problem. Um, is it that we're not proclaiming? I think I, I would agree. I think, I think it's absolutely, we've got to be proclaiming the truth, um, but I think we have to be engaging with people and allowing people to ask their questions because if we don't there, there, there is a thing about authority in our culture the organized religion or authority isn't there that you know oh, you can't tell me to do that I'm, I'm me myself autonomy self-rule self-governance and all that stuff and i think that when we preach like steph said i think we, we, there is a foolishness of that there's some people oh my goodness and there's power in that but oh I just think we've got to, the whole lot, and this goes with, with reaching people in our culture. Yes, we've got to preach and proclaim, but we've got to do better, I think, engaging with them in questions and dialogue as well. I'm not convinced length of time equals greater measure of the kingdom of God, but I'm open to persuasion. <laughs> what, is, what do you guys think? I think there's uh, an element in which it's very easy to say, how come they're doing this and we're not doing this, when actually they're very different cultures, the needs are different. Um, the challenges are different. And I also think if, if so, if you when you recognise that, uh, you bring that here, it just wouldn't be helpful. And you bring that there, it wouldn't be helpful. I think there's um, 
you know, myself and Lena thinking about it, going back thinking there are some significant things I will definitely take back with me as a result of what I've learned in the culture. And there are certain things that I make sure I embrace in the culture that we're going to go into that was going to be really beneficial for us. And it's just making sure you tally the two up because some of the stuff we're taking will be countercultural there. But it's actually really biblical and it's good and it needs to be there, particularly our marriage and family. And I suppose if, I'm assuming it's not just uh, always the proclamation, it's the outworking of um, the gospel as well. So I think recognizing that it's not helpful to always be like, how come they're doing it and we're missing out? And it just it just becomes unhelpful. It's not it's, it's a different scenario. And actually being thankful that that's going on and thinking, how can we get to a certain level of depth and intimacy that I feel like they're getting to? And does that make sense? I think in an African context, it's more about community, more than the individual. So if you go to or come to a meeting, you're happy to stay for three, four, five hours because it's your family. You do things together. You eat together. There is real declaration. You're not apologetically told what the Bible says. You are told what the Bible says. And, uh, and so people come to learn how to change their families and so on. But it's definitely more community and we, everybody eats together. And, um, yeah, it's not an individualistic society. It's we, the church, together. And so people work, that's their fun times, is to come as a church and spend five hours together. So again, it's knowing what is the prevailing culture around you and the best way to connect with it and, and so on, rather than us thinking, oh my goodness, we need to be more like that if it's not. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to do my Annika Rice. Was Annika Rice? It's just the African thing that got my attention. Um, <laughs> um, I think in Africa, people are hungry for God. They lack the comforts that we have here. So when this, they, because they are brought up to worship the devil and they are hungry for the real deal. So if, you, if a preacher goes there and says, look, God is here, God will do this. It resonates with their hunger. So they go, forget the culture. Forget about eating together. You can sleep in the same bed with somebody and you don't love them in Africa. It's, they understand because they're that. Those are in darkness, they're in darkness. But the real thing is the hunger and the thirst. That's why in Africa, an African who accepts Jesus, you need to ask, where is he coming from? That's why they run like they've been chased. Because they've been hungry. They want the real deal. And a touch from God opened up so many things to them. Do, do I make sense? So it's because of the hunger and the thirst. And there are no comforts. And also another thing quickly is that Jesus um, asks one Verse 1 says, the things Jesus both began to do and to teach. When an African man sees the demonstration of the power of God, based on the word of God, and he notices that, look, you didn't pay anybody to do da-da-da-da-da, and it's real. Then their own son or daughter they know comes home, and they know him from Adam, and he begins to demonstrate that spirit of God. And they watch his life and said, he didn't do anything apart from praying, fasting, studying the word, and they see the power. 
I think that cuts across culture, cultural differences. Thank you. Okay, so let's chuck another question out. Uh, how do you equip a church of various ages how to deal with the changing sexual ethic culture around us <laughs> to build secure... To build security, but enable engagement. That's a good question. How do you equip a church of various ages how to deal with the changing sexual ethic culture around us to build security, but enable engagement? I think it starts off with um, teaching people not to be afraid. So I think that's the first thing. A lot of people feel afraid of, um, yeah, the the issue because they feel like they don't know enough about it. So I think... Not being afraid and growing a heart of compassion are always a good starting point. I think one one thing that's resonating in people's hearts when they express these things is is an injustice, and I think that's they they feel an injustice that you're you're stopping this gay person living this way, you're stopping that transgender person doing this way. You 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 do something which seems unfair, and that that is the fact that they're responding to that is not a bad thing. I think that you can you can honour that in in their heart, and it's just a case of it's not just a case, but I think if you can honour that and then try to help them see beyond it and through it, so that that doesn't become the only issue that's that's in their mind, um, I think that that's at least one step. I can't comment on leading a church of various ages. It <laughs> 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 will probably. About most of them are under 30 at our church, so it's hard to be able to do that. But, but I, I think I'm aware of the fact that for the younger generation to talk about these things is much more natural. And the older ones may feel a lot more awkward. So I just, I guess, to maybe sensitively give some warning that you're going to talk about it in certain settings for the older, older folk or create specific settings to talk about it, which people can come to if they feel comfortable doing that. Um, not, that you're, not that you're just, how can I put it? Not that you are simply, I guess, just allowing the older folk not to engage with it, but you've got to do so sensitively because I just think the world has changed so much in such a short space of time that, you know, helping people to engage with it is is very, lots of wisdom needed in in regards to their generation and how they think. I think just to throw in quickly around ages I think probably the church got a bit of ground to win when it comes to the younger generation I think when it comes to kids I think I have conversations with my six year old daughter about stuff that I didn't even start thinking about when I was 15, 16 Uh, and uh, often there's not much space I think we do Sunday school in the way we teach them Bible stories rather than actually allow them to ask questions that they grapple with and I think sometimes creating space to actually articulate those questions with them uh, in conversational way rather than telling them is really important and I think for uh, us, probably, if you're in an older generation, that's going to take a bit of brave, uh, a brave step to kind of actually start having those conversations because you don't know where that's going to go to. Uh, as well as for young people, it's very na- natural to ask questions in order to own their faith. So if they start asking questions, don't worry. Um, that's a great sign. They're grappling with their faith. So I think that's a real natural part of that. Mike, apparently you've got something to say on this. It's only just because we've just done a couple of weeks uh, in the church on uh, sex, firstly building a kind of biblical view of it, and then the second week dealing with pornography and homosexuality and uh, extramarital sex as well. I think that the first thing uh, 
really is is that you need to start in by putting everybody on a level playing ground. And by that, I mean you need to acknowledge that there is sexual sin right the way through the church. And so one of the ways I studied was I listed out eight different types of sexual problem that was actually happening in the church. And that would have been a shock to some people uh, to find that those things were actually within our church and fellowship. But what I was trying to put there was a, a playing field that says, hey, guys, we're all in the same boat. We're all struggling with these things. And I think that really helps. It helps those actually who are struggling themselves. And it helps the outsider as well to recognize actually that this is a group of people who are also struggling. But having said that, of course, you need to be clear. I think that's another thing, clarity is the important thing. I think youngsters as well as older people appreciate you uh, actually laying down what you believe the Bible actually teaches. And so you've got to be clear uh, on that, not be afraid actually that what you're saying is out of kilter uh, with what's happening in culture. But I think also then just the third thing really I'd say is that you need to build as you speak a sense of compassion for those that are struggling. And so one of the things I did was try and just look at different ways in which we can show love and compassion to those who are transgender and homosexual and uh, things that we can do uh, to actually help people uh, with their struggles and get alongside them. And for me, the litmus test was actually <laughs> Joe's life and over here, one of Joe's friends who uh, considers himself to be a gay atheist who comes to our church on quite a regular basis. And he came up to me uh, the following Sunday after my talk and I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> so I rolled back a little bit on my heels. And uh, he was just totally complimentary. And he said, I, I've, I've never heard anybody speak so compassionately like you. And he said, I want to thank you for the language that you used, uh, that it wasn't condemning, and that you acknowledged how I feel, because I spoke about how for many homosexuals, for example, it's really tied up with their identity. And so when you attack the issue... You're seen as attacking their identity. And so that was a real lesson for me because I tried to work hard on the language I used and uh, to have him with that feedback was really great. So I'd say not be afraid. We had, the, uh, we had the teenagers in for both weeks and now our youth team are actually working a further two weeks with them, uh, which is what you're saying really, so that they can ask and dialogue their questions and work through that. And I think probably most of us as churches need to do that on a fairly regular basis. Uh, so that folk are aware of those, and because things are changing. We don't have time for transgender, which is, of course, the big issue that's now before us. Um, but there's a great book by Mark... Uh, oh, dear, I've forgotten his name now. <laughs> it's a great book that just came out from the States on transgender from a Christian... Mark Yard House, that's right. His book on transgender uh, is really helpful if you've not tackled that issue yet. But uh, I think full of level playing ground, be as clear as you can on what the Bible says. Be full of compassion and do watch your language. And, of course, when you speak, it's your tone as well. That's ever so important. That's why, uh, having taught on homosexuality for 10, 15 years, uh, I never give my notes out to anybody else except for their study because I don't want people just preaching what's there because the tone of your heart uh, is so very important. Sorry, that's too long. Wonderful. Thank you. So helpful. Um, we've got like two minutes, so just to end, we've got loads of questions, I appreciate that, but just simply from your, um, one or two of you's perspective, if you're interested here, just what do you think as relational mission churches um, are the, is it if I move? 
Well done. Relational mission churches. What are the kind of, what are the ways do you think, given, and I guess from a, a British perspective, do we need to try that one? Do we need to um, adapt, challenge? What are the challenges we might face in the future, opportunities as relational mission churches, given our kind of culture we have at the moment? What are your thoughts in terms of looking ahead? Um, given that the church has always adapted over the years and certain churches have become, denominations became pretty sidelined because they didn't adapt and change, we don't want to fall into that same trap. So kind of what ways or what's going to help us not fall down that? into that trap. Does that make sense? Quick answers as well. <laughs> I think, for me, a growing conviction has been that the church is not the meeting. The church is the people. And um, I used to think hard, long and hard about how to get a good meeting, how to get a relevant meeting, etc., etc. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking more and more, I'm feeling like... <laughs> um, there's, there's so much in the Bible about, like in Peter or in Matthew 5, about let your good deeds shine so that people worship God, so that they ask you questions. And, and so I think I'm warming a little bit to sort of like evangelism as moth to a flame kind of thing. You show them something attractive by, by the way you love one another and the, by the way you're obedient. And that, that attracts people. So I would say let's try and make our lives missional, etc., as well as our meetings. But what you can do in an hour and a half on a Sunday morning compared to the rest of the week, and who's in that room, etc., etc. And also, I just think it's obedient to, to what Jesus said and did. Um, I think that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I had one. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know really... I, I think um, we, we, we're just trying to sort of have a renewed emphasis on, on, on making disciples and making sure that we'll chat a little bit about that in the session that I'm doing later. But I think it's, a, it's almost a similar kind of thing, but using different language. I think, I think we, we're, we've got a really strong, um, a big heart for the, for, for the church as a movement. We feel like we've got God's heart for the church, which is brilliant. But I think sometimes what that can mean is even without realizing that, you know, like they say language creates culture, that, that if that's what you talk about a lot and then without realising people can start thinking in a quite a meeting-orientated way rather than in what kind, of, what kind of people are we developing here, you know, which is really what it's about, isn't it? What, oh, Jesus has commissioned us to, to make disciples. So I, I think a commitment to preaching and teaching and immersing in, in the life of the kingdom is almost like... If you, it's like the thing where if you keep what's real, real, you sniff out... You sniff out the, the counterfeit, because you know, culture is always changing. So you, it's like Toby was saying earlier: if we just really pursue the kingdom first, you'll have something that will be powerful, regardless of what happens in the culture around us. If that makes sense. So. Yeah, that, that was going to be my comment. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the mic before me. That's all. Um, I just think so often we have built good meetings, good church. But I, I haven't heard lots of spoken about the kingdom. And the kingdom has actually advanced out there. And so it's to become more outward looking, to train people to be Christians throughout the week, no matter where God has put them. They are the gift to society. The Christians are a gift 
to change society. But also we are very well taught. Good sermons, wonderful, but we're not very well trained. And so it's a, it's a matter of giving teaching and then saying, now this is how you do it. And taking people along and say, put your hand there. When you speak, do this. So often people come to seminars or whatever and they get well taught and they, and they write notes and they go home and they think, how do I do this? I don't know how to do it. So it's actually having teams training people hands-on um, of how to put things into practice so that the kingdom is advanced out there. I think probably one of the other areas is um, uh, making the supernatural natural. I think sometimes we've got an apprehension that we kind of think people don't engage with that or kind of put off by it, where actually our society more and more is actually looking for an experience. Uh, and uh, I think if we don't push into uh, the supernatural, we're actually proclaiming an empty gospel, where in the Bible you often see Jesus doing miracles, and then on the back of that, crowds gathering and he's teaching. And I think sometimes actually for us just to allow God to speak for himself through the acts that he does and to then explain it is a much better way than to try get people to listen. Okay. I, I forgot which quarter pass we've got to, but um, that's my fault. So let's have one, uh, at least one more. Um, I think this has kind of been answered already, but some might want to expand on it. But um, someone's put, hi, nice check shirt, Toby. <laughs> How do we as a church hold on to truth <laughs> of check shirts when the church is seen as intolerant? Now, I think Mike really is kind of... The world will always perceive the church to some degree in a negative light. If you're constantly trying to be liked by everyone, you go down a different kind of rabbit hole, don't you? You know, Jesus said you will be, people will say things falsely, you know, on account of my name. It, that will happen. So you don't want that. None of us want to pursue that. But I think we can be unnecessarily unsettled by opposition, whereby we constant, where we can be so quick to assume we've done something wrong, and sometimes we haven't. It's just, a, it's just a, a negative response. And so I do think we, we want to make sure that we really are very wise in, in how we go about things, um, definitely, but that we're not, we don't make it our aim to, to please everyone, but to love everyone. It's different, isn't it? Do you, do you know what I mean? To really want to love, show God's love. But if you're constantly just trying to please people, you won't, you won't be able to serve Jesus well. So, and, and just, you know, if you read Revelation, Jesus speaks to seven churches and... A lot of them get told off for being too tolerant, <laughs> not too intolerant. Uh, I just think, again, let's not make, let ourselves be squeezed into the postmodern shape. Let's be really compassionate, but let's also sort of say, well, there are certain things that Jesus doesn't tolerate, and so we want to learn to express a Christ-like intolerance of them. Does that make sense? I, someone might want to say something to temper that, because I recognise it's a bit of... But I'll, okay. just coming to Mike here, I think one of the great challenges I find as a Christian is being absolutely clear in my mind what are real kingdom values and what are cultural values, because the church has changed its view on things like capital punishment, slavery, things like that have changed, and sometimes the answer might be right that it should change, the the right answer may be different in different cultures and at different times, so that's one thing, knowing that's whether that's which is right 
But then how often as, as Christians have we held on to things which really we look back and say we're wrong and are not kingdom values. And actually looking at myself and trying to see you know, what are the real kingdom values I, I need to hold on to proclaim rather than what are cultural ones. And it's really, really difficult. And maybe you actually need people from out, Christians from other cultures to come to you and say, actually, John, that is a, a cultural value you're holding on to rather than a kingdom value. That's a good, good uh, thing to think about. Um, is that a question? No. Okay. Um, you know, as we think about intolerance, I, I wonder if the view, uh, you know, when we think about uh, gay, lesbian, trans, transgender, whatever, um, as we think about all the people's view to that in our churches, probably is shaped by the view in the past that these things were criminally wrong. And so we've grown up in a culture where these people are criminals. Well, things have changed since then, but in many older people's minds, they still are affected by that. Um, and that's a problem for them. I think as, as, as Christian leaders, it's helpful to... What I found helpful is to recognize that these people struggle with sins. These things are effects of the fall. They're, they're sinful things, which as Christians... We all experience, don't we? We still struggle with sin. We've been freed from sin, but we still wrestle with sin. And so to view that their struggle is in some way similar to our struggle, we all struggle against sin. And these people aren't outcasts or criminals. They're, they're people who are struggling with sin. And with that frame of mind, I think we're better positioned to empathize with them to be compassionate towards them and to help them ultimately. Now, just, I mean, just a quick thing on that is that I think we need to really steer clear of things like talking about straight and gay. I'm not straight. I'm crooked. Do you know what I mean? And I think we've got to really steer clear of this categorization whereby somehow there are those of us that are sorted out and others that aren't. It's just crazy, isn't it? And I think we can do that without thinking, even if that's not in our heart, by our language. I think we've got to be explicit about the fact that all of us are battling sinful, evil longings that exist inside of us. You know, and I think if you can, if, you know, be sensitive in, in the way you, you know, you speak about those things. But I think it's really important. Otherwise, you can, you can give the wrong impression about yourself, particularly if you're the person who's speaking about it. You have to, expect, you know, take ex- extra care to demonstrate that, that you're, we're just all the same. This is important. The fact is, if we're not disciplining our sexual desires in some way, we're probably not following Jesus. And so you're asking different people to discipline their desires in different ways, whether you're married or whether you're single or whatever. And interesting, with all these kind of labels, if you like, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual or whatever, are modern constructs. They are cultural words as well. They're not that old. Um, and so even kind of that, we've got to go, well, hang on a minute. What's the, what is, think through what is the best way and the language to communicate this stuff. And I think, like Mike said, that's a great example of connecting with people and challenging and yet retaining that relationship and respect there still, even though there's still disagreement. I think so. 
there's loads of stuff we could talk around this, um, and same with intolerance and tolerance stuff, really. It's kind of what do the words even mean, and, and, and helping people understand that everybody's intolerant towards something, actually. And so even things like that is important, and that's where dialogue comes in and questioning people comes in. What do you mean by the word? Well, that's interesting because it's not what I think, you know, or, you know, I agree with you on that, blah, blah, you know. So conversation with people, talking with people, all these kinds of things will bring greater connection. I'm sure there's loads to work out. We, we haven't touched on kind of styles of meetings, worships things, you know, how do we do that? What do we do, you know, in, in that kind of thing? Uh, there's loads, um, but let's draw a line under it there. I hope this has kind of at least provoked us to go away and think through what does kingdom culture really look like expressed in, in the context that we are in? How do we really go for the values of the kingdom to see expressed not just our meetings but outside in the world, equipping people in their workplaces and universities and schools and so on? How do we equip people in that way that does connect, challenge and transform? So shall I pray and then we'll kind of um, have some tea and coffee, I guess. Father, you taught us to pray, Jesus, your kingdom come. Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And that's what we want, Lord. Uh, infused through everything we do, Lord, in our church, more formal gatherings. But Lord, especially out in the world. Lord, we really do. And Lord, I, I want to ask that you just give us such wisdom and grace to know what to take away from it. So much has been said. So much has been questioned, all sorts of things. I pray, just give us grace to know what we need to, one or two things maybe, into our context to think, okay, let's just look at this or challenge that or think about that, whatever it might be. But my prayer is, Lord, this would result in kingdom fruitfulness because you've appointed us to bear much fruit. And I thank you so much that we haven't got to kind of get it all right for that to happen. Lord, we've not suddenly... yeah. It's not when we reach a level of relevance to people that suddenly you work. Um, Lord, you, you work through people like us and churches and communities of people who are broken yet found redemption and wholeness in you. And I just want to pray for that kingdom culture in greater measure in all of our churches. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Shall we show our appreciation to Toby?